I have I have a question about the scene. Is yeah. Finn dressed as Gary Oldman's version of Dracula? Yes. Okay. <laughs> And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. Today's episode, titled Room Service, was written by Ned Martell, who also wrote Ryan Murphy's take on The Boys in the Band, which was out last year over on Netflix. And it, and was, it was okay. It was <laughs> fine. It was fine. Zachary Quinto, I thought, was very good. He was. He's very good. I'm also, I'm always very happy for him and how he his career turned out. Anyway, <laughs> it was also directed by Michael Goy, who has been a long-term collaborator of the show and is also the director of the viral horror film sensation Megan is Missing, which actually came out in 2011 and went viral on TikTok last year. How do I know this? Because I'm on the talk. All the time. <laughs> that how you say it i'm on the talk i'm on the talk i literally want to punch myself in the face after saying that out loud and in the middle of a recording i am so old <laughs> do you uh tick the talk not with another one of my friends who i mainly communicate with via sending each other tiktoks as you and i do as well yes sometimes we've referred to each other like texting late at night being like okay i'm gonna bed see you on the talk <laughs> I want to punch myself in the face so bad right now, Clarice. That's this is adorable. The, this that's is really the cute. uncoolest thing I've ever said out loud no, in my entire that's life. That's very cute. I like it. <sighs> so I guess I can retire now. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be living in the talk forever. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> okay, let's get talking to vampires because I'm literally blushing right now. There's. Not that many things and a lot of things that happened in today's episode. Shall we start with Alex adjusting to being a vampire and accidentally creating a horde of tiny preteen vampires? Yes. Okay, now I have to start with uh, an embarrassing thing to admit. Please. Um, I don't know temperatures. So I'm sorry, what? What do you mean? when she took her temperature and it said 75 degrees fahrenheit mm -hmm. is that hot or cold that's cold so okay. i don't know it, would you would you be able to understand what it means if it was in in celsius if it was the weather i don't know what temperature the human body is meant to be though so um in in god what is the so in Celsius, which is how I understand temperatures, the okay. I think there's a range of what's considered like the safe, appropriate, quite normal temperature for a human body to be at. If you have a fever, which I think is around 36.5 degrees. So if you're sort of around that, 
you're fine. If you're above, say, 38 degrees, you've got a fever. If you're at like 40 degrees, you've got a, a, a high fever and like you need to be in hospital right away. If you're under 36 or 36.5 degrees, then you are colder than a human body should be. Right. And if you're 20, you're just like dead. Or a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should probably know this in the age of COVID, but... um, Maybe you've avoided yourself a lot of um stress by not knowing it. Yeah, I just let the other people do the beep, the, the temperature <laughs> beep. <laughs> And then they tell me whether it's fine or not. <laughs> I only know this because my grandma was a massive hypochondriac and she would like take my temperature at any possible moment. So I like oh, wow. I had she thought that like if you were at 36.2, you were like, oh, my God, you're going to cardiac arrest. Which was not true. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so she's very cold. She's very cold. And she's seeing things with a fisheye lens, which you know is a, that's a problem. And you know that's how things are getting supernatural and weird is when American Horror Story directors start using a lot of fisheye lenses. <laughs> so your favorite bad mom, Machin Amick, returns in this episode and her son is not doing so well. He's got measles bad in the bad way. And is... I think they said, again, medical knowledge is not good. <laughs> they said he was septic. Yeah, which is a very bad infection. Very bad. Mm -hmm. Dying. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if let's turn this kid into a vampire is the best solution to that problem. But it's the solution that we went with today. Yeah. And that solution ended up creating, okay, the words that I used in my notes were, this is a vampire epidemic. Yes. Bebe vampire army. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this little measles kid, who turns out to be a massive little shit. Um, I mean, I would say more than a shit, because like... <laughs> Look, what we know about the vampire world is that you're you're a vampire, but your brain is still the same, and your sense mm -hmm. of morality is still the same, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this kid's first option, once becoming a vampire, is let me kill both of my parents at the same time. Mm -hmm. Does he Breakfast. need that much blood? Well, clearly he's a greedy little shit, isn't he? <laughs> greedy like sociopathic little shit mm -hmm. and then his idea of a good time is biting everyone in his class and making them all eat each other and their teachers yes <laughs> but hey we're in America so you can just blame on a school shooter it's fine I mean it's like it's fun it's gory it's little kids eating adults fun times all around but the ending i think is the true like sign of this kid being a, a sociopath because and i mean i think that's an overused word anyway but you know of be of this kid just being inherently not good news because he convinces all the other kids to like give the cops and the authorities these this one single story 
what, what did you make of that little um, conspiracy? Yeah, I mean, if I was the cops, I'd be like, why are you describing Michael Myers? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a tall man wearing a mask and he had a big knife. Mm-hmm. Like he just described every horror movie villain and no real people. <laughs> I I kind of I kind of like this storyline because yeah, the fact that it's so easy for them to blame it on real life violence is very telling of like American society. In a way that like, you know, this kid would not be able to pull it off in a British school because they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, everyone in America is, is so mentally prepared for the idea of school violence Mm. for the idea that their child in school would not be safe the fact that the second the teacher dies they have a lockdown measures ready to go Mm -hmm. this you know one of the teachers just has to press a button and it's everything's locked and and you know she knows exactly what to do like i think it's it's like and just a nice like subtle bit of social commentary Mm -hmm. in uh a season that i would say like is is not doesn't have that much social commentary because it's more about just like being silly and fun this is like a nice little a nice little jab yeah and to be honest i think it's good that it doesn't intent try to do a lot of social commentary because as we've discussed over countless hours that (laughs) doesn't always bode very well no no (laughs) let's let's stick to the ghouls well done the subtleties like in this episode are good and let's keep them subtle. Yes. Although I'm not sure why, because it's Halloween, they had to have that scene of the oh, teacher yeah. dressed in a racist costume. <laughs> she did get called out in a really in a really good way. Yeah, but I just... Uh, that woman had to go through a microaggression for no good reason. Yeah, I mean, this is why I'm saying it's good to stick with the goals sometimes. Yes. Um, I think it's also interesting to see how irresponsible some of the newly made vampires are being so it's quite interesting what Alex who's been turned into a vampire and essentially given a job with the Countess is fucking up on her first day I mean I get it she didn't want that kid to die but also, like, just think about step two. Yeah, like, maybe explain to the kid what needs to happen after that. Like, how, what is he going to do with this newfound hunger, this ability to, to, like, I guess the additional strength as well? Yeah, and also, I don't know, now we're getting into, like, ethics questions. I don't know if immortal vampire life is necessarily something you should be giving to somebody without their consent. Very true. I mean, it's been explored in a myriad of different vampire fiction, including literally is the whole fucking is it's about 56% of Louis from interview with the vampire's personality. This. Yeah. Especially when it's a kid. And like, I think it's the idea that like, she, she didn't just give him life. I think in her mind, she's like, I just saved his life. It's like, no, no, no. He died. Mm-hmm. He's just a vampire now. It's it's not the same thing. And I think it's like, that's her foolishness. 
is to think that it's like just a replacement for being alive. Mm. It's very much not that. <laughs> it's, it seems really stressful being a vampire. Cool, but stressful. And from baby vampires to um, older vampires, but also babies. Oh, I have a question. Oh. We're talking about vampire lore. Yeah. It, it appears in this version of the mythology because it differs mm-hmm. in different story vampire stories Mm -hmm. in this one they can eat they eat people food because that kid goes jalapeno cheddar my favorite when he's that's like his first line as a vampire (laughs) (laughs) what are what are your thoughts on the the vampires as a vampire expert vampires eating food oh god okay i'm gonna add that to my cv vampire expert not just (laughs) fan um i okay so what we don't see is whether he reacts to it, right? We don't see him vomit or anything like that, which is what would traditionally happen in most other stories where vampires eat human food. But what's in- there's another interesting he- scene in later in this episode where Liz Taylor is serving Iris a cocktail and it's blood with a drop of triplicic. And it's like, oh, so you're drinking alcohol along with the blood and then also also previously in the season the countess and her and bomer and finn and stuff are doing drugs so they can do drugs and react to them and they can drink alcohol and get drunk but they just have a an advanced metabolism and in that whole like sex position scene that she has after she turns finn into a vampire she says that when she's explaining basically what it's like they can get killed and I think they can have the same like physical reactions to all human stuff, but they don't need it is what I'm understanding. So and they don't need food to survive. So why would they eat food? They need blood to survive. That's what gives them sustenance and maintains them fresh, so to speak. <laughs> but I think what I'm taking from the mythology here is that they, it's not like their flesh will be as magical as like say in dracula like they won't be turning into bats they're sort of just super powered humans right because it's presented very much as a, as a virus yes this. yeah it's yeah it's totally coded as a virus so it has like these physiological effects but also it's like it, what i take it as is the most superficial kind of decadent take on the vampire lore it's like imagine if vampires are just like humans but they don't have any of the gross supernatural things like very like very explicit fangs or like super pale skin or anything like that and they don't they're not afraid of the the daylight and they can eat food and things so they can sort of exist more comfortably in the human world but also, they never age. They look really glowy. They can do all the drugs and all the alcohol and everything and never have any st- bad side effects. And they also need to drink blood and stuff. But it's like a supercharged, decadent version of humanity as opposed to like a supernatural state. So I could just eat as many Doritos as I wanted. Yes, that's how I read it. I would like to be a vampire, please. <laughs> <laughs> if I get to never have another hangover again, listen, I like 
I'm so in. I would so just in. drink champagne and Doritos and then I would dip the Doritos in blood. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would make like blood curry every fucking day and have blood topped pizza i'd make cheese out of blood and i'd make like oh my god bloody mozzarella i i'd i'd like i'd pitch a fucking cooking show with blood i don't know it's just pizza but instead of the tomato it's just blood yes this really thick coagulated blood with cheese on top can you can you develop like a type of cheese that's made from blood instead of milk can you do like oat milk but it's blood milk blood milk (gasps) a whole range man blood latte (gasps) blood latte blood matcha (gasps) blood matcha (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh i want to be a vampire so bad i want to be a vampire so bad (laughs) i can do it (laughs) this is basically the ending of true blood (laughs) (laughs) oh god um shall we move on to iris and her adjusting to probably for the best the vampire life (laughs) yes iris has a completely different experience of being turned into a vampire and i thought her um what did you make of her like speech about being an older woman and being invisible that she that she does as she sort of adjusts to to this new situation but also kind of but also tries to hide it from the countess yeah it's it's i mean i thought that speech was really nice and sad um you know i i think like the the one thing we can really credit ryan murphy with and i, I know there have been criticisms of criticisms of this but mm. um the fact that he does put such a focus on older women and the experience of old, experiences of older women mm-hmm. who you know, Hollywood and the media love nothing more but to sideline or just to trash as well. And and to have Yeah, just to have this character, I like the rage. I like that she was angry about mm. it. Um that she has spent an entire lifetime of suffering, of just providing for her son, and he hates her in return, and it's like, what the fuck have I been doing this whole time? And, you know, she gets to this point of her life, and she has no reward for it. Um, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I liked that. That she wasn't this sort of, like, simpering, like, oh, so sad, let me just fade away into old age. Yeah, She's, you know... She's very much like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> like, where is my due? Hmm. Mm. Absolutely. And I find it really interesting that they sort of um, splice those, that conversation with kind of her being a pawn in the plan of, of Donovan and Ramona against the Countess and this amazing confrontation between the countess and finn as they're kind of going out on i guess on on halloween night because it's still halloween um yes it's the second episode where it's still halloween and they kind of look at her and they smell something but they don't see her even when she's like right in front of them yeah kind of a dumb dumb move from <laughs> the countess like you can smell people's blood. You can't 
That's ageism, Countess. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I really enjoyed Kathy Bates's um trying to hide being a vampire acting. <laughs> she was very funny. Because it was a real, like, <laughs> she could have shit herself. Like, <laughs> is she going to eat them? <laughs> like, the, the layers. Mm-hmm. The layers to that performance. It could be so many things, but it's just like <laughs> someone is desperately trying to not do something acting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very much so. And um, I think the main gist of this episode really is about Bliss Taylor and her backstory and her relationship with the Countess. Um, what did you think of that of that reveal? Well, I think reveal might be a strong word for it. What did you make of that storyline? This is one of my favorite American horror story things. Mm-hmm. Period. I love the scene between her and the countess so much. Yes. I think yeah. partially because of the scarcity of trans representation of trans stories in like mainstream TV and film, mm-hmm. but also just because it's so beautifully written and it's like we can get to the gaga-ness of it all when we mm-hmm. do our, <laughs> our categories, but it's such a moment for her to be like, I am Lady Gaga, the ally! Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I am I am the gay icon. I am the LGBTQ icon. Like, I, yeah, I just thought it was really just beautifully and subtly done and empowering in the right ways. I agree wholeheartedly. I think, I mean, obviously, you know, we don't, I don't think we, we've got space or really the right people to go into the the nuances of having a, a cis male actor, Dennis O'Hare, play a, a trans woman. But at the same time, like the, the sensitivity of the scene and I think like a genuine earnestness from Gaga in this performance, in this scene in particular just the intense kindness I think in her performance I don't think that's the countess I think that's more that's more her empathy perhaps coming through this is the gaga that was that clip where she very beautifully and carefully folded up the the pride flag did you Mm. see that no I don't think I did just a really nice clip of her like folding it with the, the sort of triangle which I guess you often do for the American mm-hmm. flag. Just be it like in the middle of a concert, everyone, she stops singing. <laughs> Everyone's just watching her fold this flag and she does it so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And she just holds it up and she's like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I love being in this community. It's great that she puts it on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> it's really lovely. <laughs> also, I just love Dennis O'Hare's performance as Liz Taylor. You know, Liz Taylor starts to walk as herself, really starts to shine in such a way once i don't know i i don't know how i feel about like once once she has that encounter and that conversation and that almost transformation with the countess that really just comes from being seen and being understood and being told that she is who she is 
the way she struts down the corridor afterwards with the champagne and the way that she confronts and confronts those those men that she had been working with it's just so it's so earnest it's so pure and it's so there's there's no snarkiness about it it's completely positive and intentional in its positivity i think and i think you know to to go back to the fact you know it's dennis o'hare's sister and playing this role um like obviously it would have been so much better to get a trans actor to play liz taylor and i think if this series had been made today that would have happened Mm -hmm. but i think as well like out of all the performances of of cis actors playing trans characters i've ever seen this is like near the top just in terms of like like there's no there's no like um selfishness about this performance i feel like Mm. like i feel like this isn't like Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, yeah. But it's like a Fuck awful like vanity Leto. to that to that role of like, oh mm-hmm. look at me transformation. I think it feels like Dennis O'Hare really approached this role with like, I want to tell Liz Taylor's story, mm-hmm. like a real commitment to who that person is, and and there's like a subtlety to it, and there's a there's a grace to his performance and. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's hard. Like, you know, I don't think we can accurately comment on it. (laughs) But, like, from my perspective, at least, like, I really, really love this performance. And I really appreciate Dennis Ahead doing what he did with this character. Mm -hmm. I agree. And and again, I think it's, it's like the, I love that this performance exists. I wish it, you know, if this was in a film, like fucking oscar Beatty dallas buyers club um it would have been much more talked about um and much more celebrated but i completely agree with you like i might be completely wrong you know i'm not i'm i'm a cis woman so i'm not the right person to necessarily say this is accurate this is not accurate this is correct or sensitive that's how i felt it um and and i i don't know i I'd love to hear or maybe should read up on how trans audiences reacted to Dennis O'Hare's performance as Liz Taylor. Yeah, like, it, yeah, I think like we have to add that caveat to like all of the discussions mm-hmm. <laughs> of anything that's like not directly related to our experience. Like we're trying to give our best pers- perspective, but obviously it's always better to seek out, you know, the voices who have the actual lived experience to be able to talk about this. Yeah. But... I will say one thing, one line I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that line where she says, you dress like a man, you walk like a man, but you smell like a woman. And Liz Taylor says, oh, you know, I wear Paco Rabanne. And she says, no, 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 not your skin, your blood. blood. Mm, and I like, it's a line. very like poetic version of, of the trans experience. But mm-hmm. I just, I think it is, it's really beautiful because it does get get down to the essence of like it's something so like internal mm-hmm. uh it is really simply put it's just really nice and i just really like that line it's uh, yeah i really like that line as well I, I wrote it down and i thought it was so beautifully delivered as well and that them both together 
I really love. There's such a tenderness. And, you know, the Countess has been presented as essentially the the big bad of the series. Someone who's alluring, but essentially incredibly selfish, motivated entirely by her own interests. Um, and kind of ravenous in all her in all her hungers and here it's a moment of it feels like a moment of generosity where she's kind of helping Liz Taylor see herself and isn't really asking for anything in return from her it's sort of like it reminds me of Cinderella and like the fairy godmother when she comes in and she gives her the magical dress and she Mm -hmm. sort of lets her be the princess she was always meant to be. Yes. But specifically the live action version with Lily James and that dress. God, you're obsessed <laughs> with that. <laughs> that I have so many dreams about because it's the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. <laughs> That's Cinderella. <laughs> um, is there anything else we should talk about this episode or shall we move on to our categories? I guess we should just shout out the fact that Darren Chris is in this. <gasps> oh my god, we didn't even talk about the hipsters. The hipsters. <laughs> so two hipsters arrive, basically to annoy and feed Iris. And they're played by Darren Chris and Jessica Liu. They're to chill out and smoke out, as they say. Yes. <laughs> they just say like a whole string of really weird stuff <laughs> I mean I'm not gonna lie I live in Hackney I have heard it all before <laughs> I'm just the fact that they made that actress say are you Alzheimer's <laughs> just like a weird line that was a very special line indeed yeah are you Alzheimer's? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that's meant to be that woman's meant to be an awful person, but like, what? A... And they talk about going to the Ace Hotel, which I was like, yeah, yeah. That... Like, is there still one in Shoreditch? Ace I think Hotel? they closed that down because of the pandemic. But yes, there was there was one in Shoreditch on Shoreditch High Street. I don't know. When I want to go to a hotel, I want to be like cozy pillows, chocolate on the pillows. Not pate, not grilled romaine (laughs) lettuce. Yeah, not grilled romaine lettuce. Actually, that sounds quite good, though. I mean, it's quite good, but no, I'm sorry, no one. They're like, they're high off their tits on edibles and their munchies food is grilled romaine lettuce. And a cheese platter. That's understandable. But maybe they wouldn't be like, can I just have a large block of cheddar, please? (laughs) Now that Iris would have happily provided and probably would not have killed you. Give me your biggest block of cheddar. (laughs) Give me a block of cheddar the size of my head. Not mild. (laughs) Don't give me that mild shit. I think we see Darren Chris in very good form in this episode, being an absolutely obnoxious little twat. <laughs> I love Darren Chris. I love him too. I think he's great. And he seems very game for this. Considering he's like a, a fame, this is like a quite small cameo for mm. a big famous man. Appreciate. <laughs> 
even putting the work in to be a, a hipster who wants artisanal cheese and then dies. <laughs> so shall we move on to our categories? Yes. What was your favorite quote of the episode? Oh, just anything that the Countess said. <laughs> okay. Hmm. You know what? I think the line I really loved, apart from the other line that I said that I loved, mm-hmm. <laughs> is when she says, You don't like beauty. You lack commitment. commitment. So good. I, think I, I love that just as an idea. It's like, yeah. you know. Put that on a motivational poster. Yeah. Just like, be the, be the beauty that you are. Such a Gaga vibe. I think my other favorite line was when, also in that scene when she goes, goddesses don't speak in whispers, they scream. Oh. And when she goes, how about a tiny yelp just to warm up the pipes? Mm-hmm. Can Lady Gaga just, like, come to my house <laughs> and make me feel better about myself? <laughs> feel we'll like text her. I could, I could really benefit from that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll text her. I'll text okay. her. And what about the best fit? Okay, well... I'll get into my issue with the costume <laughs> in a later category. Mm-hmm. But the Countess's costume, the white, I guess, Marie Antoinette-esque yeah. white fit was very beautiful and I liked the wig. Yes, very nice. How about you? I kind of have to say... Oh, God... I kind of want to say Finn's Gary Oldman cosplay. <laughs> Just the little glasses. They really did me in. I probably would have said that, but I have a weird dislike of that movie. Oh, no, no. I know it's really odd. I should like it. But something about it really takes me off. The costumes are beautiful. Something about it annoys me, though. <laughs> well... Maybe we'll get into it in a bit. <laughs> what about the Boma Bono Award for Horniest Moment? I'm going to say mm-hmm. the scene where it's Donovan and Ramona Royale mm-hmm. kind of having what should not be a flirty or sexual conversation about how they're going to take down the Countess. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it's really erotically charged. <laughs> They're very close to each other. I mean, yes. I'd also add to that, there's a moment where Iris is just so completely bedazz- like completely taken aback by how beautiful Ramona Royale is. You know, who can blame her? And she just goes, you're so beautiful. And Ramona just goes, I know, right? What a waste. <laughs> I think that's my horniest moment. <laughs> that's a good, that's good. That's a good pick. <laughs> um, and 
did you pick up on any cinematic references this week? Well, so I've, we've already brought up the Dracula costume. Yes. I also think the kids, the little vampire kids attacking, mm-hmm. felt kind of quite Dawn of the Deadish when they were all swarming on the teacher. It felt very like Romero zombie as opposed to. It felt like it was interacting more with that language than like traditional vampire. Oh yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think it was like sort of between um, Romero's, you know, Night of the Living Dead and all the subsequent franchising and sequels and stuff like that, and also a little bit like the the Return of the Living Dead, which was kind of a rip off franchise, um, where the zombies feel a bit slower but are also more gruesome. Like you can fe- you can see like all the all the bits you can see them eat the bits of flesh and stuff and and it's gorier in in some ways that was more like from the from the 80s yeah so they did remind me of that a lot yeah it's interesting that they but i guess it's not that it's not as common in a film to have like many vampires all going in hmm. for a num num at the same time <laughs> num num <laughs> And well, then you do see that in Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, I haven't watched that movie in a long time. I should rewatch it. <laughs> there's uh there's a couple of scenes, especially once Lestat and Claude uh, what sorry, once Louis and Claudia find and get involved with the theater of vampires in Paris. Uh there's a few scenes where the vampires are on stage pretending like it's a theater performance, but actually they are eating uh, a young victim so they sort of just go out and then all go in together onto her like a pack of wolves Um, and also there's a reference to Butterfield 8 the film for which Elizabeth Taylor won an Oscar if I'm not mistaken and that's how the Countess christens Liz Taylor Liz Taylor circa Butterfield 8 oh also there's another one. Mm-hmm. The hipsters are watching TV and they briefly switch to Suspiria. Yes. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite horror movies. I love Suspiria. Love Suspiria. And what about Insensitive Historical Reference of the Week? Did you pick up on any? Not really, but at this point, I'm just going to point out what a terrible mismatched couple's costume. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> what the fuck? Why is she dressed? Marie Antoinette. He's dressed Victorian Dracula. Specifically a 90s take on, Vic- on Victorian Dracula. What? what? Why is she just dressed as Winona Ryder? <laughs> <laughs> The fuck? (laughs) (laughs) She's rich enough to be able to afford a matching costume. Well, clearly not, because she got duped by Bernie Madoff. Yeah, she's been alive so long, she's forgotten which century's a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, woman. What about the killer of the hour? Oh, I don't know. What? Which one is? Who would you pick? Honestly, the little fucking pirate kid. Pirate kid. Yeah, 
that little mini Patrick Bateman in training literally murdered and then <laughs> freed, created another little army of murderers and then got everyone off. Yeah, to be fair, he just straight, I can't get over the fact he just straight up murders his parents. No, no second thoughts. Yep. <laughs> like, I know his, his mother was kind of a dick, as we established, but bit much child <laughs> mm-hmm. the other holden started with the dog he didn't go straight for mommy <laughs> right yeah it's the slayers to this <laughs> serial killers start off with animals then they go to people you don't just go straight to your parents come on i mean uh, we we've kind of already established which one is this but what's the gaga applause moment yeah, just just all that. <laughs> just just and the way that she's lit in that scene very soft but shadowy. Mm-hmm. And then her lipstick there's something about her lipstick in that scene that looks really great. A good pout. <laughs> great scene. Great scene. She just looks so beautiful and kind. And then the the way that she really swiftly murders those two very mean homophobic men oh and then she has that whole line about there are two selves one that the world wants us to see the other the shadow she's like twirling a little finger mm-hmm. a little murder finger <laughs> murder like, finger it, every gesture in that scene is perfection like it's such a thought out performance mm-hmm. and this is why this is why she deserved the golden globe yes this was truly the the cinematic unveiling of Lady Gaga. Not a star is born, which is great, but the Countess. Honestly, controversial take. She is great in A Star is Born. I think this performance is better. Whoa, Clarice. Because it's so much harder. It's so much harder to do what she does mm. in this show, which is like, ethereal otherworldly sensuality but also like exactly in this scene this sort of like um like (laughs) aphrodite-esque like blessings that she's giving to people and it's so hard it's so hard to pull this off and to have the kind of presence that she has in this where a star was born was a difficult role but mainly it was crying (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I really love A Star Is Born, but I think this was, like, I don't know. I don't feel like it's that controversial to say. Like, I think what she did in this was really difficult to pull off. It's fair. I I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're trying to say. And I kind of know who you're going to say, but who would you say is the MVP of the episode? Oh, it's hard because it's, like, it's both the Countess, but it's also Liz Taylor. I'm going to say it's Liz Taylor. Yeah, I think it's Liz Taylor because this is her moment. Yes, this is her moment. She's the MVP. Yeah, but also the Countess is just very cool. And she's eh. yeah, she's cool, but she's not center stage. This is true. So I think that's it for this episode. What well, what can we expect from the next one? Uh. Oh wait, sorry. Am I reading the right thing? No. <sighs> You, I've lost you. I don't see you on the... There you go. Okay, sorry. I've highlighted it. <clears throat> in the next episode, we find out who's lurking in room 33. 
And it's not some dead old naked lady. It's something else. <laughs> this isn't The Shining. Different thing. We'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Hotel. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us on at the next Supremes Pod. You can also find me on Twitter at Clarice Lou. And I am at Anime Demented. Gaga, phone us. <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie, text me. <laughs> I need your help. It's so bad. fucking tear you apart.